I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Colossians 2, 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Please pray with me for the Lord's help. Father, as we opened singing, we ask for you to speak. You would own your word where you have already spoken, but open it up to us and open up our hearts to receive it like good soil. I pray that you would help me in the preaching of it, that I would express your truth, not any of my own thoughts. I pray that you would use this to stir up your people to love and good deeds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks into the new year. Um, this week, uh, somebody at work was just expressing, I, I'm still not used to writing 2023. That's a common experience. But how's that whole new year, new you going? Um, and, and probably in this group, maybe we're not quite that kitschy, or um, or, or maybe we're just not that optimistic. Um, but even the most stubborn curmudgeon of us sees the new year as a good time to evaluate ourselves, to have some self-reflection and ask questions like, what am I doing? Where am I going? Am I accomplishing my goals? Am I developing as a person? We might look at our schedule or our budget and we want to know that we are investing in the areas that really matter. And we know that in order to have a change, we might need to make some changes. Many of us start the year with fresh resolves to be different. We might want our weight to be different. We might want our family dynamics to be different. Um, we might want our relationship to this little device to be different. Um, we want to gain mastery over anger or lustful thoughts or any number of things. And the big question with these questions, the big question is how? And a lot of times, in asking that question about so many of these things, we are looking for the next new thing. The new strategy that's actually going to work this time. Maybe last year, your Bible reading plan, trying to read through the Bible in a year, didn't quite go so well. It was a lot to, and, and you felt like a failure. And so this year, you're going to just go slowly, kind of an unstructured plod through the scriptures, which both methods are excellent. And neither method is going to unfailably work. If you have a standard of working, looking like you never fail, because you and I are still sinners. 
So how does God help sinners? Does he give us something new, a new strategy? Actually, this morning I want to challenge us that what we need is a fresh appreciation of something old. We need the reassurance that we are already doing exactly what we are supposed to be doing. I say that to people who have gathered here this morning, and I say it about gathering as God's people, about plugging in and being part of the church. The encouragement I have for us this morning is that one of the biggest things you can do to grow as a Christian this year is to be involved in a local church. For many of you, that has been for decades, Rockport Baptist Church. And for some of you, you're newer to our church, and we are excited to have you joining in the life of this church. We'd love to see many of you uh, join in in membership and be baptized if you need to. We're actually going to be having an, a new members class in February. We're planning that, and we want to introduce what being a part of the church will look like. And, and I will throughout this uh, sermon, bounce back and forth between the church universal and the church local because in my mind there is no understanding of the church universal except as it is manifest in the church local. You have Christian friends that aren't part of Rockport and that's wonderful and God uses them in some of the same ways. But one of the routine and most regular and effective ways God's going to work in your life is through your involvement with a local church like Rockport. And this is something we see in Scripture. Um, and so we'll be bouncing back and forth between principles that apply to the church universal and yet they are worked out in your relationships right here within our church. And what we want to see from Colossians this morning is not all that we could uh, exhaust out of um, Colossians 2 verses 1 through 5, but two things. One, God matures Christians through the labor of local ministers. And two, God matures Christians through the love of local churches. So those are the two things we're, we're going to look at. And we are not saying God uses these things exclusively, but just that God will use them in your life significantly. God's plan for your spiritual growth involves the church. So first, God matures Christians through the labor of local ministers. And I'm not going to only speak of ministers as pastors, but we understand, and many of you, the, the, the men who have been going through the, the, the men's study of the trellis and the vine know that we have an idea of every member being a minister. We get that from Ephesians where we see that each person has a gifting and they're using it to build up the body of Christ in Ephesians 4. But even saying God matures Christians through the labor of local ministers may seem an odd point to, to make from this passage. And Paul's not local here. He's not a, a pastor of a local church. He, he hasn't even been to Colossae. He's a church planner. He's an apostle. But look at verse 1. Colossians 2 verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul's words here point to his preference for local personal ministry. 
He feels at a disadvantage ministering to the Colossians and the Laodiceans and these others he has not met personally. He has a special burden, it seems, for them. And he goes out of his way to try to accomplish in a letter what he'd rather do in person. And so he closes out our section saying, reminding them, though I am absent from you in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul's making do here, but it's not... It's not ideal in his mind. You can make do with a lot of things, right? We, we do. We, you, you might break your foot and then you're making do. You can still get around if you've got a nifty little knee scooter. Um, but it's not the same. You, you might talk to somebody and, and, and find out it's not the same. Um, some of you have, have problems where you, you have to avoid gluten and so you try to come up with recipes, the gluten-free options. And it's... That substitution doesn't always work for you. It's not the same. And so here, Paul, he's writing this letter and he's expressing his heart to the Colossians, but it's, it's not ideal. And we can say that even though the result is ideal, that God gives us a letter that benefits not only the church in Colossae in the first century, but also us 2,000 years later. God in His sovereignty works it so that Paul, responding to what he would see as a not ideal situation, gives us a gift. But, but it's not just Paul that sees this as not ideal here in this passage. You see this throughout the New Testament. So in Romans, Paul once, he's eager to visit the Romans, he says, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. He says in Thessalonians um, chapter 2, he, uh, he says in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, as, or chapter 3, verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is just, he wants to be there with them. He wants to look them in the face and encourage them. And it's not just Paul who's keen on having this personal, local ministry, but you have the Apostle John in two of his letters expressing things like, at the end of Second John, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Ministry is not done in abstraction. And it's, as we deal with people, we realize that there are, there are lots of things that just words on a page or on a screen like this don't get across. How many of you have had the experience of you, like you send that text or you put that thing online and then you revisit and you realize the tone might have been misconstrued. It might be easy to misconstrue. To get confused on. And so there's just something much more muchier about being in person. And so God has created this plan for us. Because Paul could have, he could have just camped out in Antioch and created a letter ministry and sent these letters out to people. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to use him in person. 
One of the other things that points to this here in Colossians 2 is the fact that this passage is missing in Ephesians. You may know Ephesians and Colossians are kind of like twins. Um, They are different, but there's a lot of similarities as you go through key words and phrases and um, series and even the order of of Ephesians and Colossians becomes very similar. Um, and I mean, this is, this emerges at a number of different places. But the one place where, or one of the places it breaks down is this section, Colossians 2, 1 through 5. You don't have it in in Ephesians. Why? Why did Paul need to put it in here? Because after three years of local ministry in Ephesus, Paul didn't need to say this. When he was talking to the representatives of the Ephesian church as he was going to Jerusalem, he was able to say, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you. From the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. And he goes on in Acts 20 to say, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. So Paul didn't have this view that we're tempted by that that Christian maturity, spiritual growth, is simply a matter of downloading all the right thoughts. Ideas are part of Christian maturity, but they are not the extent of it. I mean, you should know about Jesus, for instance, from Colossians, that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. You should know that. But knowing things like that about Jesus isn't the same as knowing Jesus. Any more than reading some dude's bio online means you now know him. You don't know him. You don't know him until you've sat down for a dinner with him and then seen him pop up after dinner to make sure that that dinner cleanup doesn't fall on his wife. You don't know him until you've seen him deal with getting attacked and see how he responds to that. You don't know him until you disappoint him and see how he responds. But the Ephesians knew Paul. And many other churches did too. Because Paul made this his pattern. He prioritized local personal personal ministry because he knew that teaching these people went beyond merely verbal expression of the truth. It included verbal expression of the truth. He says just a few verses earlier in Colossians 1, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. But it went beyond that. And so he wanted, as he expresses in 1 Thessalonians, to be able to say, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, to say, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. 
For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is how Paul prefers to do ministry. He wants his life to reinforce and recommend his teaching. He wants to give his people a picture of obedience to Jesus, faith in Jesus, and love for his people. So God's ordinary program for Christian growth is to build maturity in local ministry, often in local churches just like Rockport. So yes, God used Paul as an apostle to labor hard for churches he had never met. And God will use some national or global leaders to build up your faith. And we should give Him praise for that. And God is going to use you to pray for missionaries who you've never met. And God is going to use that. But as a regular part of God making us mature in Christ, this gathering is going to be really key in what God is doing in your and my life. Never underestimate the significance of what God is doing through really plain, ordinary brothers and sisters who are setting an example for the believers in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. God uses this. He uses it powerfully. He uses it, parents, through us. Many of you parents, we we work really hard to instruct our children and we want them to know all the right things. And, And it's really convicting to realize that those ears which also often seem to be missing what we're saying are just a few inches from the eyes that seem to be catching everything. So our, our local personal ministry parents in our homes matters a lot too as we want to see our children grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We Just very briefly, um, related to this idea of local personal ministry, a life that you can see speaks powerfully. It commends the teaching because... There's a number of different ways to express this struggle Paul has and that we would share as we try to engage as ministers of grace to one another. We would see it in the labor of expressing truth that Paul says, again, chapter 1, verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works in me. That word struggling is the same one we have in chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know my struggle. So what's part part of Paul's struggle? Part of it is, is what he's doing in teaching. But we also know that part of it is expressed in prayer. Because he can't do what he would like with words. And he would like to express those words in person. And some of what he's doing looks very much like what Epaphras is doing in chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of them, who's a local minister 
in Colossae visiting Paul and he is expressed as from Paul says that he is struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Same word. So this struggle, part of it is prayer. And then part of it, this struggle is, as we've indicated, um, a desire for the sort of ministry that normally can only be carried out in person. This is, is critical because this sort of ministry of in-person example, exemplary living comes alongside of all the things that we say. It commends them and says, I actually believe this. It commends them, not just the message, but also the messenger and says, I love you. Paul is trying to communicate to the Colossians his deep love for them. And and he knows he would do it better if he were in person. But he has a struggle because he's absent and he can't minister as he would. And he, he mentions the struggle to them in this letter because he's absent and can't minister as he would. He, he, so he's relying on words to try to express what he, what he can't do in person. He's trying to use words to help them see his love. Unfortunately, the, the opposite we know can happen when, when our words say one thing, but our lives say another. That actually can work to undercut the, uh, the impact of the word delivered, the word spoken. But the word doesn't, the, the, our lives don't just commend our teaching, but our lives also complete the teaching. The way we live speaks to each other. And we, we, we hear this in um, expressions in different teaching um, seminars or whatever, but more is caught than taught. And many parents, you, you can testify to this. You suddenly you just see your, your kids going about a certain uh, task and you're like, wow, that's exactly what I, I would have done. Um, and you never instructed them in that. But there's so many things that... Um, that, that, that pull together, your life pulls together lots of different principles. Right? You, you, anytime you make a d- decision about um, how you're going to set up the schedule for that week, you're pulling together a lot of different things that God has put on your heart. How do you put those things together? Well, I mean, we could have a seminar where we talk about like how to balance children's sports with being involved at church and still having a family life. But that's going to give a one-size-fits-all answer to a whole bunch of people that are very different. And so instead, what we do is we live lives that help teach each other how to put things together. How to put together truth spoken in love. And a life lived before people before your children, shows them that what you're saying is doable. There's so many things that we can instruct and say, you ought to do this. And, and have, have you ever fallen into the, 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 the trap where you find yourself saying something, giving people instruction, and you know it's just like the ideal and you have never actually done the thing you're telling them to do? Live a little longer and you'll probably find that you'll have that experience. Um, But when we live out what we are instructing, we show this is doable. 
not only this is doable, but this is the path of joy. I mean, that's what Paul does here. He shows in all of his expression that he is full of joy. He's not bemoaning the things he has to endure. In fact, he says in verse 24, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Paul isn't playing the martyr. He is saying, guys, I've found the path to joy. Now follow me as I follow Christ. And not only does this show that it's doable and it's full of joy, but living this sort of life for one another shows how to do it, how to put together these different pieces of God's Word, these principles we get from God's Word, and how to put them together in a specific situation. I want to move on just so that we do cover this second main point that God matures Christians through the love within local churches. So God matures Christians through the labor of local ministers. God also matures Christians like you and me through the love within local churches. As I I said, this is an application of a broader principle here in our passage that there is this profound connection between maturity and love. And this is not a shocking uh, point to to, you all. There's a lot of talk about love. But we usually assume that it's unidirectional. One way. You get mature. You you work on being mature. And maybe someday you'll be able to work on maturity. Or on on love. Or, or, Or maybe you think about it as when we're mature enough, then the love will just kind of naturally flow out. But, but we're going to just focus on maturity right now. Because we think that it just works this direction. And, and what I find surprising in this passage, Colossians 2, 1-5, is to see that love is not just the product of maturity, but it actually is the process of maturity. It's the path. It's how we get mature. Is by loving in obedience to Jesus. And so to see this very quickly, we'll see that love is critical to spiritual growth by two things in our passage. One, our growth is dependent on Jesus. Growth means knowing Jesus. You see this in the way He expresses. So the growth, the spiritual maturity is expressed in verse 2 as reaching all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And he says, which is Christ. This isn't just, again, downloading the whole database of theological truths I have to know to be mature. Those things are good, but this is more than just a set of facts you've got to learn. Knowing a person... It involves being dependent on them for their self-revelation to you. If, if I want to know you, you have to be okay with us being friends. It requires that I be in right relationship with you. So for instance, if I'm a critical husband and every time Athena wants to tell me something, I'm coming back and saying, well, that's like that's dumb or something... After a very short time, she's going to decide, I am not really wanting to be known by Warren because this is not going well for me. And so a relationship, a right relationship is necessary with that person if 
You have children. And every time you try to talk to them and show them something and say, hey, come here, I want to show you this thing, they run off. They're disobedient children. They run off. We are not going to have a relationship. They're not going to know me because they are not in right relationship to me. What is our right relationship to Jesus? Well, this is the one who is described in Colossians as head over rule, every rule and authority and power and dominion. The fullness, we, he, is, he is the one who fills all. And, and so, this is the Lord. And the way to stand in right relationship to Him is to obey Him. Well, what does Jesus say? He says that knowing Him, we could use the expression abiding him in Him, is all wrapped up. Well, it includes obeying Him. John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He wants us to know Him, to abide in Him, to experience this this discovery of all the riches of knowledge and full assurance. So He wants us to abide in Him and benefit from that. But He goes on and says, if you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love. Just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be, that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So like Paul, he, Jesus is also wanting us to have full joy how do we do that? Trust and obey. And right after that, in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So, if we want to grow in maturity, which means knowing Jesus, and what Jesus wants for us, is for us to love one another, then we have to see that that is the path and the process to us growing into the sort of people we want to be. Not just this new year, but through the rest of our life and into eternity. Second thing related to God using the love within a local church. We, we need to know um, that, that love is crucial to our spiritual growth, to our becoming mature, because our growth is... Jesus has not only made it depend directly on Him, like me and Jesus, we have this thing, but Jesus has put you into a body. We are, our, our growth is dependent on other Christians. And that's going to demand that we love. Our growth is dependent on Jesus. He says we got to love. Our growth is actually dependent by His sovereign will on other Christians. And that's going to require love. This is God's plan for our spiritual growth that we grow as part of a body. Colossians 2 verse 19 speaks of this whole body being nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and growing with a growth that is from God. And the, the, the parallel passage in Ephesians uses the, includes the idea of as every part is working. You can't know Jesus without other Christians. And it's not like a, well, okay, I'll kind of like form my posse of Christians I like. 
so I'm fulfilling this. I have other Christians. This is not a choose your own adventure where you pull together your, your squad. We don't get to choose. Jesus does. And Jesus chooses a bunch of people we aren't sure about. In fact, some of us are pretty sure they shouldn't have been included. But Jesus, He's got this thing about grace. And some of us are really glad that He does. The problem with choosing our own posse, saying, okay, I need Christians, but this is my group. These are the people that I'll actually learn from. Is that we usually choose people that are just like us. And the fact that they're just like us means they have our same strengths, which is awesome, and they have our same weaknesses, which are less awesome. People who are just like us also have our same blind spots oftentimes. So we need each other, and we need others that are different from us because we have blind spots. Kids, maybe you've learned about blind spots in... in Science, or, or maybe you know from driving, there's this part right about here that as your parents are driving, they can't see out of the side of their eyes. It's just an area that's really easy to miss things. In life, there are lots of things that, for, and they'll be different for each one of us, that it's easy for us to miss. That's part of the reason why God gives us each other. But it's hard. It's hard because we want to be like maturity means knowing this, 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 having these principles in this order. And if you do, then everybody should just look exactly the same, like me. But what if maturity, yes, there are a set of truths that should be known, and yet God is building maturity, people knowing Jesus and he is teaching different members of this body different things. So you've got a brother and you might look down on him for something, but what God is putting him through in one area of his life is teaching him something that you didn't know because you didn't have to walk that path. Because on that path, that was God's path for him to know Jesus. You have a different path to know Jesus and His grace. So we're, we're different? Almost like different members of a body? Of a body where you can't have one member like an arm saying, I am not part of you because you are not an arm? Guys, we are not an, we're not like a fingernail growing in a Petri dish. All by ourselves. God has put you together with this body and there are a lot of other body parts that are different from you. So how do we stick together? Well, we're knit together in love. Which makes love really critical for us growing in maturity. The love within a local church is critical for us to be able to grow up in Christ. We do not love in abstract. Some of us want to live in the world of ideals, but we don't. that's not where we live life. 
At the end of the day, you're going to come down and you're going to be interacting with that brother or that sister. Kids, you're interacting with your brother or your sister. And God has called you to learn how to love them with their particular annoying habits. And that is God's good plan for you to know Jesus better. We are not knit together in abstract. We are not knit together at a distance. Praise God, He has ways of making this connection. Paul was able to feel this surprising love for the Colossians, even though he had never met them. He indicates in verse 20, chapter 1, verse 29, that this is a divinely empowered um, ability for him to struggle in this way for them. But in general, the people that you are going to experience this love within Jesus' church are the people that you are gathering with. And that is God's good plan to make you mature in Christ, to build you up in your faith. And so this year, one of the things I would encourage you, many of you, just to continue doing, but to appreciate the value of it and to not grow weary in well-doing, is your involvement with your brothers and sisters at Rockport. So as we come together, when you think about coming on Sunday morning, you are thinking, as Hebrews would instruct us, we are considering in advance how we can stir one another up to love and good deeds. What, who is that brother or that sister I'm going to talk to at Rockport today? And how can I stir them up to love and good deeds? And how can I encourage them in the midst of whatever they're going on through to to trust in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so this year, as a bit of a a, a resolution or a re um, re resolution, I want to encourage each of us to see that we don't need to add on a whole bunch of new strategies. There may be good strategies you can try out, but you don't need to recreate the wheel. God has already, through what He has you doing, plugged you in to the body where He is causing the body to grow up into maturity. It is His work and He will complete it. So as we gather together, we help one another know Jesus with the confidence that in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's seek to live this out with one another this year. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for the reminder from Colossians of what is truly valuable for making us like Jesus, to make us know Jesus, to make us grow up. Please do this work in us and do this work through us and help us to love. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.